Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. Your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and today I'm once again joined by Kim Berry, the editor of Food and Drink Business and the host of this show. G'day, Kim. How are you doing today? I'm very well. I'm very well indeed. And look, before we get started, I have a little bit of news. And look, it will it will date because it is specifically relating to our inaugural uh, industry Excellence Awards called the Hive Awards. Uh, they're currently we're currently accepting entries, and the big event will be in May. But we have just announced our platinum sponsor. Uh, it's very exciting. They are joining uh, seven other existing sponsors who we are also deeply appreciative to. But we have the Commonwealth Bank of Australia as our platinum sponsor. We're very excited. In fact, I'm beside myself. It's really a fantastic um, for them to be aligning their brand to both food and drink business and the Hive Awards. So everyone needs to hop online to check that out, thehiveawards.com.au. And now that I've updated you with our Hive Awards news, let's get right into today's episode. We're talking aquaculture Now, when you talk about aquaculture in Australia, most people just think of the big end of town. So someone like a tassel that was actually bought by the Canadian company uh, Cook uh, in 2022 for $1.1 billion and JBS that acquired Huon Aquaculture uh, in 2021 for all of $425 million. So we all sort of know about that end of town, but there are many other businesses also operating in the um, aquaculture space. According to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, fisheries and aquaculture production rose 8% in 2021-2022 to $3.4 billion. Uh, While that's very exciting, one thing that I found quite shocking was uh, 65% of the seafood that we eat in this country is imported. That's wow. that's outrageous. And so we're turning to companies uh, that we're going to be talking about today that are real uh, guiding lights, I guess, uh, real thought leaders, real action leaders in the space in terms of sustainable aquaculture, as well as uh, being incredibly innovative and uh, on the front foot when it comes to this sector. Today, we're talking uh, about Murray Cod Australia, probably better known as Akuna Sustainable Murray Cod. We have with us uh, the CEO and Executive Chair, Ross Anderson, and we also have Luke Piccolo, who is the head chef and founder of Limone Restaurant in Griffith, New South Wales, who has played a really uh, formative role in uh, the company and its creation and ongoing success. Welcome, you two. Thank you. Thank you. I think that was my longest introduction in history, Grant. <laughs> yes, I'd concur. <laughs> anyway, um, look, let's let's start at the very beginning. Ross, how did you you come across this? Murray Cod, what's the story? The story is that there was a, a young man by the name of Matt Ryan who had been a, a wheat farmer uh, just north of Griffith, a dry area wheat farmer. Um, he went to the University of New England as a young man and and 
did his agricultural science degree and became an agronomist. Um, and his father died when he was either still at uni or just finishing, and he came back and worked on the family wheat and sheep farm with his with his brother and mother for some years and uh, very successfully operated that for a number of years. But over time, the families grew and he decided it was time that he didn't want to be in the commodity business anymore. He wanted to get into something that had growing demand and shrinking supply rather than something like wheat, which was at the whim of global markets every day. So he purchased a little block at Bilbul, just opposite to Bortley Wines, uh, near Griffith, about 10 k's out of Griffith, and he dug a pond and began to grow Murray Cod. And I mean, why not? I mean, that's a, that's a logical step, isn't it? Yeah. A wheat and sheep farmer <laughs> just going, yep. get me out of commodities. That's, that's understandable. Right. Uh, but yeah, let's dig a ditch and put some fish in it. Yep. So he dug a hole and he put some fish in there. And I'd known Matt and known his family for many years and I knew that he was doing this. And my immediate reaction was this is going to be a disaster <laughs> because every other native fish farmer I'd ever seen try to do this had produced a very poor quality product. They often ended up running their fish health very badly and losing lots of fish Fish escaped. The guys tended to be people who wanted to sit on the riverbank and dream about fish rather than actually having the diligence and science to to grow high-quality fish. So he got into growing Murray cod, which, as we know, was an endangered species. And I didn't think too much of it, and I never went to look at it. And a year or two after that, a very enterprising young chef by the name of Luke Piccolo turned up in town. And I'd known Luke's family for many, many years. In fact, his auntie was my next door neighbour as a child. So I'd known him and his mother I'd known since I was a very young child. So, but I hadn't known Luke much at all. Anyway, Luke turned up in town and his father and he had built this magnificent restaurant, which they built themselves by hand with timber and gates and various bits of gear that they'd scrounged up from all over the place. And it's just really, really beautiful setting the way they've done it. So I said, well, we better go in and see how Luke's restaurant is. So I've gone in with my partner. We've tasted this fish on the menu. And I couldn't believe how good this fish was. And I said, wow. I said, Luke, where did you get this fish? He said, I got it out at Matt Ryan's place. <laughs> I said, Wow. And maybe Luke could carry it. So, so I went out to Matt Ryan's place and had a look and I thought, here we are with an endangered species. No one else in the world is growing it. It doesn't grow anywhere else in the world. In fact, it doesn't even grow anywhere else in Australia. It only grows in the Murray-Darling Basin. And it was a really high-quality eating fish. And, and through partly by accident and partly through scientific due diligence, Matt had developed this way of growing a really high quality fish with a fairly low labor content and in a way that was very scalable. So I looked at it and said, you know, we, this fish should go, it's an Australian icon, it should go to the world. But maybe Luke could talk about how he, he had a look at it. Firstly, I, don't you love just regional Australia? <laughs> Like, I live next door to his auntie. Oh, I went to school with his son. Like, you know, it's fantastic. I love it. This is how this is how enterprise and innovation and creative, creativity really 
take hold. Anyway, well, one of my great memories, one of my great memories of Luke's auntie was we were all together once as children at at her elder sister's place, who was quite a bit older than her, and was the mother of my friend. And I was staying there for the weekend because my parents had gone away. And we were all dressed up to go out somewhere. And she said, and it had just rained in the apple orchard. She said, now, don't you kids ride your bikes down the apple orchard? And of course, being kids, we all jumped on our bikes and rode straight down the apple orchard and got ourselves covered in mud. And when we got back, she had the broomstick. (laughs) (laughs) She took the head off the broom and gave us all a smack on the back of the legs. It was a different time. Rosa included. <laughs> Luke's mother included. Yeah. Oh, we all okay. had to line up and cop the broomstick. <laughs> oh, okay. With that, uh, with that very visual segue. Hi, Luke. Before now, Luke. Oh gosh, we will let you talk in a minute. I promise. Uh, we should, uh, you know, pre pre introduce uh, Luke in that he wa- he was awarded uh, the Appetite for Excellence Young Restaurateur of the Year like in 2019. So, you know, we're we're dealing with some um, pretty impressive talent. So now you can talk. <laughs> Thank you. Well, yeah, I um when I moved back to Griffith, which was in 2015. Um, so as a young chef, I, um, fortunately got the opportunity to move away and, and did most of my training in Sydney. Uh, so got to train under some amazing chefs and restaurants. Um, the likes of Giovanni Pillou, um, from, from Pillou at Freshwater, uh, Nino Zicali at Pendolino and a few others. And, from from there, my journey took me overseas. I went to Italy and spent a bit of time there. Um, and all in that time, my father was uh, was building the restaurant. Uh, so and and he's a bit of a, a madman. He was you know he recycles, he reuses, he and he's got an amazing eye for detail. So he sort of knows how to make something really beautiful. I was always planning to move back, so I was getting as much knowledge as I could and. And I worked in this little restaurant in Sardinia uh, in the middle of nowhere. And when we were working, everything from that restaurant was actually gathered from within 10 kilometers, most of it from within 500 meters. And so there was sheep producers coming to your door, delivering milk in the morning. There, we, were, we were killing our own chooks. We were, there was, it was amazing the stuff we were doing. There was fresh seafood getting knocked on our door every day. So it sort of instilled that experience instilled this um, this need for locality and and it flipped a switch in my head and I thought, geez, I could do this back home. You know, Griffith's such an amazing community, such an amazing agricultural force as well. I thought there's no reason I can't do this when I get home. So with the intention of moving back home and starting the restaurant, I I started doing lots of research, you know, contacting producers that I remember the moment I landed back on on Australian soil and I got back home, I just was on the phone, I was visiting. So what I did is I just started going out and just asking questions, asking what people were up to, seeing what, um, you know, what producers were doing what, who was growing things, who, and Matt Ryan's name kept coming up. So they kept saying, you got to go see Matt. you got to go see Matt because he was just starting around the same time. So that's what I did. I went out to Bilbo and he had one dam at the time. Um, he'd got these beautiful – the design is great. It's an open open air dam. Um, so the, the fish live in, uh, in, I guess, as close to natural um, and a natural environment as they can. 
And I just remember Matt and I um, just fishing, a, getting a cod out. He just got a, got a net and, and fished one out. And we took it back to, he had at the time, just a tiny little shipping container uh, where he had set up. He had an ice machine, a stainless steel bench and a fridge. And that was pretty much it. And um, so we'd go there and, and you know, um, and, you know, excuse the graphic detail, but knock the fish on the head, <laughs> um, uh, bleed it. Uh, and then I took it back to the restaurant and would and would gut it. So after after that you know and we we tasted the fish and i thought it was just amazing so from that moment on i did that every week um so i would go out to matt um we would we would get the the fish two fish three fish whatever i needed for the week and um and that became a regular occurrence um so yeah it's a, it's it's been it's been a pleasure to see matt and akuna grow from where it was to um to where it is now Absolutely. And tell me, what was the response, you know, from visitors to the restaurant? Were people hesitant at first or did they go, oh, I'll give that a red hot go? I'll be honest, people, it was, it was, a, it was a struggle to sell the fish in the beginning. Um, people have always had this perception with Murray Cod. They were used to getting these big old fat cod out of the river that have been sitting in the mud at the bottom and um, and probably not treated all that well, even in the when they're being fished. You know, a lot of there there is an art to to um, actually taking fish and and killing them properly and and cleaning them properly. There is, you know, uh, coming from a chef and and someone who really respects animals, there is a really really fine art to that. Um, and unfortunately, the majority of recreational. <laughs> people you know probably not there obviously are very skilled people but the the majority of people that might go out to the river once a year um catch a cod and eat it they they probably don't really know the best way to treat that and and so i there was this perception that it was a muddy fish and and all of the things that went along with that so once we got it into people's mouths they were so amazingly pleased and they you know the comments like we've we've never tasted something like this wow i can't believe this is a freshwater fish that was another one people um murray cods uh it's quite amazing because it does stand itself out from being uh i guess a mediocre freshwater fish it, it has such a lovely fresh flavor which um people don't really associate with freshwater mm. um so ross from those from those beginnings, tell us, bring us up to speed. Like, what's the size of the operation today? Uh, today we have well, in those days, as Luke says, there was one pond. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and um, and the struggle, of course, for someone like Matt wanting to grow fish was that the established wisdom was that you should get a fish that's about a hundred grams in size and put him into your pond and then grow him out to the, you know, two, three, four kilo mark. And they had enormous trouble in getting hold of 100 gram fish. There were a couple of native hatcheries around who used to hatch native fish and predominantly just sell them to the government to restock the rivers and dams. But all of those fish were six or, you know, half a gram in size, maybe two grams maximum. <laughs> so it was hard to get larger fish. And, and another local entrepreneur by the name of Roger Cummins, who's very well known in this region and very innovative guy, uh, he got together with Matt and they built a nursery so they could take the fish directly from the hatcheries, hatchery, yeah. put them into their nursery shed. So they, they 
built this huge shed with um, a lot of technological advancements in it for the little fish to grow into into what they call an advanced stocker. And so they call that business Bidgey Fresh, and that was a joint venture between Matt and Roger. And um, they were sourcing their their larvae from a, a hatchery called Silverwood, a native fish run by Ian Charles over near Narandra, between Narandra and Wagga. And so when we looked at it, and I, I sat down and had a really good look at this business, and together we said, look, the only way that that people can really trust a food product is if it's fully integrated and there's some integrity in the product. So we, we'd already tasted it and we knew the quality was there. You know, tasting it in Luke's restaurant, the quality was just fantastic. Um, so then we said, well, people, if they're going to trust a product, it's got to have some integrity to it. And that means we need to be able to tell you who its mother and father is, how it's been treated, what's been in the water, everything about how that fish has life cycle has gone from the day it's born until the day it hits your dinner plate. So what we did, we took the hatchery, the nursery, and the single pond grow-out farm, and we joined them together and put them all. So those three businesses went into a company called Murray Cod Australia Limited, um, and that was actually listed on the Australian Stock Exchange on the first of or thirty first of January two thousand seventeen, and. Realistically, the people who invested in that took a huge leap of faith because they'd go out and look at this one pond with a few fish in the, <laughs> on the edge of the desert and, and growing what, what With a fish that no one seemed to want to eat. <laughs> yeah, growing traditionally what nobody would, would eat in the past. But as soon as somebody tasted it, they said, wow. So we did that. Today, we've got 50 ponds. We have three hatchery, 50 grow-out ponds, three hatcheries. Um, we have about 90 staff and we're planning to to grow this out to very significant levels um, of, of tonnages over the next few years. So our plan is to grow 10,000 tonne of these fish by the year 2030. And people say, oh, that seems like a lot. But the world fish market, you know, the world seafood market's 155 million tonnes of seafood, of which about 120 million tonnes is fish. And of that 120 million tonnes of fish, a little bit more than half of it, about 60 million tonnes, is farmed fish, aquaculture fish. And then as Australians, we tend to think about aquaculture, as you mentioned, Tassel and Huon before, we tend to think about aquaculture in Australia as being something done on the sea. Um, you know, we all, the only vision we see of, of farming fish in Australia is fish growing out in the sea cages, whether it's the tuna in Port Lincoln or the salmon in South mm. Australia or the kingfish in South, uh, salmon in Tasmania. Mm. Anyway, and a lot of the sustainability and environment, environmental and ethical issues that those companies are facing, you know, whether perceived or real, really, you know, they're, they're there. And, so there's another whole level of that. You know, we all think that they're – well, we the majority of us think that, you know, aquaculture is just on the water and then we hear the stories around that aquaculture and then, uh, you know, prescribe that to the whole industry without actually realising there's a lot happening on land. Hmm. So what people don't realise, Australians have this very limited view of aquaculture. What we don't realise is that of the 60 million tonnes of fish farmed in the world – 85% of them are actually grown on land <laughs> on a global basis. It's by far and away the most successful and the most sustainable way 
of growing fish uh, in a in a system that doesn't affect the environment. In fact, where we grow them, we believe we improve the environment around us because we take the nutrient-enriched water from the ponds and it's used to irrigate crops and pastures on the adjoining fields. Um, mm. And so the, that also is, a, is another big factor for us in sustainability. So our four pillars of our company that we founded on are sort of quality, which Luke can talk about more in a minute, innovation, which we've changed dramatically the way we grow these fish over the years um, and and really pre- the innovation leads to the quality. Um, things like our caviar are a great innovation. Mm, and we'll get to that. In- <laughs> and the integrity of the fish uh, and the integrity of the company is very important. So those four pillars are critical to us. But when Luke was talking before about it not being, you know, people saying, oh, it's not really like a freshwater fish, we had a situation a few years ago or an event a few years ago where Heston Blumenthal came to town. And <laughs> Just Heston rolled had, in? Well, Heston had tasted our fish and wanted to get involved with our company. He thought it was a fabulous wow. fish. So Heston and his entourage came into Griffith and at the same time as they arrived, uh, actually Heston filmed some videos for us which were done in the garden at Piccolo Family Farm. Nice. <laughs> so if you ever look on our YouTube site and see those videos of Heston cooking the fish on the barbecue, he's doing that on the barbecue at Piccolo Family Farm, which is a, just a fabulous venue for people to visit when they come to Griffith. Um, but the the thing I was going to talk about was the quality of it. At the same time, we had uh, a visitor from Switzerland who ran an investment fund called the Bonafide Fish Fund, and they just invest in aquaculture companies around the world. That's all they do. And he came out to visit that same night and he tasted the fish and he was sitting next to me and he said, oh, oh, that's not, that's not your fish. And I said, well, yes, it is. no, that's not freshwater fish. He said, that's, that's too good to be a freshwater fish. And uh, Luke was the one who'd cooked that that night. It's, um, yeah, it's remarkable. And so when you, you start off, obviously with, um, you know, you have the hatchery and then you have... I even, you know, I thought I, I, I even wrote down the little the correct names for all of these things. So you've got the hatcheries and then the, the spawning and then you get the juveniles and then they yes. go and then you grow them. Yes. And then so and then what's the ideal size you grow them to? Look, it varies. Different people like different sized fish. Um, Luke might talk in a minute about, you know, the different sizes that he uses, but uh some customers, some of our Western restaurants like a sort of three kilo plus fish where they can get a big loin fillet out of it. Right. Others like to do a smaller whole fish that's steamed on a plate. Right. And, and how long, like what's the time, what timeline are you looking at to get, say, to a, say a two and a half kilo fish? Oh, we do about a kilo a year. So once- Oh, right. Yeah, that's quite slow. They hang around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a real Do you issue name for each us. Of them? I mean, that's outrageous. <laughs> I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to say like a couple of weeks. No, no, no. like years. Yeah, it's years to grow a fish. Whew. So we're Ugh. currently in the situation where we don't have enough fish available for the demand because during COVID we didn't put enough small fish in the water because all our restaurants were closed and all our exports were stopped. And an emerging company, like, you know, lots of money going in, not much, lots of money going out, not much coming in. Particularly the more fish you put in the water, the more money goes out to feed them for a <laughs> yes. couple of years before you can sell them. So Yeah. Mm. But what size fish do you use, Luke, predominantly? 
We use, uh, we like for the restaurant that two and a half to three kilo mark. Um, I think that's, uh, you get a really nice um, fat coverage. Uh, you get uh, a nice fillet size. Um, you know, we, we cater to the, I guess, the, you know, the very, um, you know, the Anglo sort of market where, um, you know, they're used to eating a, a nice a nice fillet steak um, sort of style. Uh, so with that, um, yeah, with that two and a half kilos, you do get a lovely, a lovely portioned fillet. Um, and how many fillets would you would you get off each side? So you would get um, the return on the the meat is is about fifty percent, a bit above a fifty percent, um, probably fifty five if you're good on the knife. And um, so yeah, um, so we get. Uh, we we are we're very smart about how we um, how we use the fish at the restaurant, like with all of our proteins and all our produce. Um, so what we generally do, uh, we want to present a really nice fillet. So I'll generally get say three fillets, three portions per side. So out of one two and a half kilo fish, I'll get six portions. But then the rest of the fish will use. I, I make about three different dishes out of one fish. So all of the the trim, whether it's the belly up around the neck, um, the tail, uh, all that nice um, meat, we'll then um, put into uh, what we would maybe do like bakala croquettes. So we might lightly salt the fish down and then fill it with potato and crumb them, and that's a really lovely starter. Um, we then go even further, and then we'll roast all of the um, the carcass. And so we'll pull all the meat out of the head from behind the eyes, the cheeks, the um, the collars, the um, uh, even all the way along the bone. So we'll take all that really lovely um, collagen-rich meat once uh, we've lightly roasted it, and then we'll do things like a fish pie or um, or other preparations like that. So we'll put it with a bechamel and. Um, so we're really conscious of not wasting anything. Um, even after that, the bones, we can then make a stock. Um, so really we can get four, four preparations out of, a, um, out of a Murray cod. It's fantastic, isn't it? I mean, because, you know, from a fillet right through to, you know, a stock is, is really an economical, becomes a very economical animal for you to be, you know, bringing into a restaurant. Yeah, and you know, and we're not see like a Murray cod is a it's a premium product. You you're not going to pay, um, you're not going to pay uh, a small amount for it. It's a, it's a high end product, and um, but there's ways around that. There's and I actually I'm I'm a staunch believer that um, the problem with the meat industry as a whole or the protein industry as a whole is they they've they've devalued protein. Um, whereas Murray Cod's not looking at that way. They know that they've got a valuable product. They're keeping that. They're keeping it expensive. They're keeping that because it, it does cost to, to produce it. But, you know, there there was a time where you a chicken would feed a family and people would, would do exactly what I explained for their family where they would, they would roast the chook and then the next night they would make a broth and then the next night they would eat the leftovers. You know, whereas now, we, you know, those other proteins are so cheap to get now, you know, relatively cheap that it's people don't value them the way they should, and that's a, a big thing that I, you know, it, it, it's it's a big gripe for me. Mm. Uh, so, Ross, 
Okay, so so now we've got these. Now we've got the fish. Yes. Uh, are you? Are they then um, fished and processed on site as well, or are they just caught and then they and then you know they're being distributed to restaurants and and um, I don't know. Is there a retail? There is a retail component, isn't there? Yes. Yes. We we did have them with Coles and Woolworths. Uh, particularly during COVID, um, as we've started to run short on fish, um, we've we've paused our supply to coals for a little while, um, and those fish are highly processed because they go out as uh, filleted portions, two hundred gram portions, um, and they're processed in our processing plant in Griffith. But what we find is the fish are harvested on the farm and immediately go into an ice slurry, so. You know, within probably 15 seconds of coming out of the water, they're back in this ice slurry, and they and then we temperature control them all the way. So we're getting very long shelf lives uh, out of our fish as compared to some of the wild catch fish that go through fish markets and things. So they're processed locally, caught locally, processed locally, and then either trucked or flown off to various markets in Australia or around the world. Now, Luke was just touching on how he uses every single part of that, a part of that fish that comes into the restaurant. There's another part as well, isn't there? And it's there's there's several parts. It's like there's, gold. There's one, there's one we've called a kuna gold, <laughs> and and it fits really nicely with our four principles of quality, innovation, integrity, and sustainability. Because we don't want to be, if we're talking about being sustainable. We want to use, like Luke, we want to use as much of the fish as we can. And female fish have eggs in them uh, at springtime. So we say, well, how do we turn these these four principles into something that is really great quality for people, adds revenue to the company, works on the principle of sustainability, and and sticks with our keeps us as having integrity in what we're doing in those other three areas. And so we take a three kilo fish, uh, we keep her, and at three kilos, you know, she'll wholesale for roughly 25 bucks a kilo, so 27 bucks a kilo. So so she's, for example, a $75 fish worth in flesh. We keep her for an extra year and she'll grow another kilo. So she goes to four kilos, so suddenly she's a $100 fish. Um, But then we'll draw $50 worth of caviar from her. So by keeping that fish an extra year, we turn a $75 fish into a $150 fish in terms of its gross return. And we produce this lovely product called Acuna Gold, which is the rarest caviar in the world, um, Acuna Gold Murray Cod Caviar. Um, and it's got a little pop to it. It's. Uh, I think you might have had some. I have. It's delicious. And can I just say, the sixteen and the eighteen-year-old, I had to fight them off. I'm like, <laughs> what? And they're just scoffing, you know. And I'm going, don't scoff at it. It's precious. <laughs> and they're just like, this is delicious. And I'm like, I know. It's not for you. <laughs> so yes, I can so attest that, was- that multi generations do enjoy a Kuna yeah. Gold. Yeah, well, we gave away some Akuna <laughs> smoked fish to some visitors yesterday. Oh. And I had to warn them not to leave it near children. And they said, why? And I said, because toddlers will eat all of it. 
quite often the, mm. the piece of smoked fish goes out on a, an antipasto <laughs> tray, you know, and you're entertaining. Yeah, yeah. And if there's kids walking around for some reason, there's something we've, we've noticed as adults, we go back there and all of that fish is gone. The two, three, and four year olds just, just devour it for some well, reason. Well, you know, the 16 year old, he used to drink like pickle juice when at that age, you know, or olives, just olives and the brine and the whole. So, yeah, you know, toddler, toddler pellets. They like the, you know, they like the good stuff. They do. They do. <laughs> um, I bet that's must be nice to work with, Luke. Yeah, the um, the Acuna gold caviar is amazing. They, um, I, I've been pretty fortunate to be in a lot of the R and D uh, along the way. I've, um, I've, uh, you know, being being here on the ground, um, I often get the call out to to uh to the retail store and um say come and check this out or come and try this or what do you think of this so uh yeah i've i've been fortunate to see that product um develop from the ground up and and it's beautiful we we served it as a bit of a special just before christmas with oysters and it was just amazing we were getting some lovely um fresh oysters in and chucking them and um and just just loading them with the caviar um and so yeah our customers were really treated wow um there is so much we haven't talked about. We haven't talked about export. We haven't talked about what's next. Um, but we have to go. <laughs> <laughs> we're at we're at time. Um, so look, it's so exciting. Uh, you know, Grant. You know that this is my absolute. How excited I get about the innovation within our within our sector and seeing young companies truly thrive and succeed and grow and be doing amazing things and be doing them in an ethical, sustainable, um, transparent way is even more tremendous. So uh, we'll just have to have you back, Ross. Maybe we, maybe we'll, maybe Grant and I will come to Griffith. You'd be most welcome. We'll take you. <laughs> we'll Luke, take you for a nice meal at Lemonet. Yeah, we can go to Lemonet and have a lovely meal, and I can go and look at fish and go, wow, they take a long time to grow. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you both so much. Thank you very much, Kim. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Well, thanks, Luke. Thanks, Ross. And of course, thanks, Kim. And thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you've enjoyed what you've heard, you can tell a colleague about us so they too can benefit from the show. We'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative and very likely tasty discussion because I know there's a lot of people probably feeling hungry right about now. But until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Food and Drink Business, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.